You are listening to the Coggin Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. In the midst of loneliness and dissatisfaction, Coggin wants to help you learn God's truth in a supportive community that pursues a full life in Jesus. If you want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.cogginchurch.org. Good to see you. Uh, Go ahead and flip to Romans chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 8, right where Todd left off last week. I thought that was a smooth move by him to start Romans and then leave. No, it's a a joy uh, for me to be able to to do it. Man, I love hearing you sing. Um, You know, the band, they couldn't drown you out this morning. Not that we ever tried to do that, but goodness gracious, it was hearing you uh, just respond because of what we watched of lives being transformed. It, man, we, I could go home at this point. It was, that, was, that was good. But I'm glad to be here with a, a number of reasons. I, I love being with God's people. Uh, I like seeing you week in and week out. I like seeing your smiles. That's something I'm trying to do more of. I'm told I have a very serious resting face, and I'm trying to be aware of that be a little, uh, wear the, uh, the lightness on the outside that really is on the inside. Because if, if I look serious, I'm probably planning my next prank on either Billy or Chris. Always. Like I'm just, the, those guys have to live with a head on a swivel because I'm always coming, coming at them. But I, I love joining my, my prayers with yours like we got to do a little bit ago and just sharing all of life together. And we've done a lot of that because I've been a part of this church or rather been involved in this church in some measure for 20 years now, from almost 20 years, from the second I stepped on campus at Howard Payne as a freshman in 2004. And I don't feel that, that doesn't feel that long ago in one sense, and yet it was a long time ago. I don't feel that old, and yet my wife tells me your forehead wrinkles tell the true story. So that's how long it's really, really been. And uh, you've walked with me through a lot of life. I got married in this church. You you were with me when we went from zero to three kids overnight. Uh, that's another story. If you want background on that, come and find me. Be glad to tell you the story. You've walked through a, through a lot of difficulties. Um, you know, preachers and fishermen are prone to exaggeration. And pretty much any story they tell, I used to ask Skaggs all the time, is that really true? He's like, most, mostly. Uh, we're prone to exaggeration, but really, I think I can say this without exaggeration, that I can't really imagine life without this church. Uh, I can't imagine being, not being a part of this community, and I just, I, I love being here. Paul feels the same way about this church in Rome, and yet, he doesn't have all of the history that I just talked about. He just simply loves this church for who they are and who they belong to. Never met them before. Maybe knows a few individuals inside it, but that tells us something really important, I think, is that history with your faith community, with your church community, can deepen your connection to one another, but it is not the source of it. There there is one single source of our connection, and that is what Jesus has done in us and continues to do through us. But I, I will be honest, I'm prone because I think because of the regularity that we come, I mean, it's week in, week out. It's, it's almost like for a lot of us, 
we don't have to think about coming to church. It's like we don't even have to set an alarm. Our bodies just do it. Like we're, we're here. This is something that we do um, every week. And because of that, I think it be, can become a bit of a ritual gathering, and we become desensitized to the grace that is each other. The grace that is gathering here together. And I think maybe we got a little bit of taste of that back during the the shutdown when we couldn't be together and we just longed to be together. We ended up having church in our cars, which was crazy to think about. It feels so long ago. But Paul's attitude here, I think, to help us correct, not to, not to grow disillusioned or, or, um, or even just hard, calloused to the regularity, because we get to be together, that it's such a grace to be able to be here. So what I want us to do is stand together, and we're going to read Romans 1, verse 8 through 15, and then we're going to dive in. Just a few things I want to point out this morning, and then we'll, um, we'll continue in worship. Romans 1, verse 8, this is what he says. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his son that I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now, in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as I have had among the rest of the Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So Paul's gratitude here kind of instructs us in this that we are to be thankful for our church family because it's a visible mark of God's grace. Is grace in one sense invisible in that it's done in us? Yes, and yet there are always these visible marks that come along with God's grace, things that you can observe, things that you can see. And one of the ways that God mediates his grace to his, 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 grace to his people for you and I to live this life is through one another. We, we simply cannot live the Christian life without one another. But Paul's heart towards the Romans is, is characterized by this kind of thanksgiving, people he's never actually met. This is a church known throughout the world. He says, I've heard of your faith. And the reason for that, this is the church that's in the belly of the beast. I mean, the Roman Empire was a juggernaut. Their army was the biggest in the world. Their, their, their socioeconomic system, probably the most wealthy in the world. And, and one of the ways that the Roman people believed that we stay in this mode of being financially well-off, the strongest in the world, is by the way that we worship all of our gods. So there's a God for fertility, if you want to have a baby. There's a, there's a God for wealth. There is a God for love. There is a God for war. There's everything, power. There's a God for everything. So how do you stay on top in all those categories? You pay honor to every one of those gods. Sounds exhausting, doesn't it? But then they look to their right and to their left, and they see these people called Christians, or, or as Acts calls them, those belonging to the way. And what they notice is they don't worship these gods. And you kind of have to understand how this be makes the Christians a threat in the eyes of people, uh, the, the eyes of the Romans. 
Because if we're going to stay on top and we're going to be the biggest and baddest around, we've got to continue giving honor to these gods. So what do we do now with these Christians who won't do it? They won't bow the knee. They won't be included in our sacrifices, and they won't come to our events that honor the gods. What do we do with these Christians? So you kind of see now why in the Roman world, Christians were not just met with skepticism, but blatant hostility, oppression, persecution, imprisonment, death. So for a church to stand in that kind of a context is worthy of being celebrated, of highlighted, and being known throughout the world. But remember, again, Paul's gratitude for them, he has this deep gratitude because of who they are. They are the blood-bought people of God. This is, this is what fuels his gratitude. It's simply who they are and who they belong to. That's, that's what drives his love. Paul's thanksgiving is a helpful reminder that it's so easy to take God's family for, for granted, and that we settle into the rhythm, the mundane of going to church, and we forget that church is one of the visible ways that God continues to mediate his grace to us. It's one of the ways that he continues to sharpen us. It's one of the ways that he makes us more like Jesus, is by being around each other. So kind of what we pick up from this is that church is not a consumer good. This is not religious entertainment, that we are showing up just for our personal experience about what happens on when we gather together. It is not a consumer good. It is a grace, and it's a grace that we are not guaranteed. Let that sink in. This is a grace that you are not guaranteed. Maybe right now you can even think of a person who would love to be here but can't whether because of their health, either short-term or long-term, they can't be here to gather with God's people and what that does to their spirit to not be able to gather with God's people. So consider them for a moment. So a few things. How, how does having a, a gratitude for the people of God, what does it do for us and in us? Thanksgiving first, it should make us mindful of those who can't be here. It should make us mindful. So right now, if that person comes to your mind, I, I think that's the spirit telling you, reach out. Contact them, talk, talk to them, call them, visit them. If they can't be here as the church gathers, go be with them, the church to them. Second thing is Thanksgiving should guard us against seeing the church as a consumer good. We'll come back to that in just a minute. The third thing, this should guard our attitudes and words concerning the church of God. So I'm a millennial, um, and in a lot of ways, millennials kind of spearheaded this whole movement of church bashing. We, we started to pick up on, you know, there are some ways in which the church of Jesus has not walked in accordance with its calling, has not lived up to what it's called to be. And what that's ended up producing in many of us is a, a criticism that's hostile, a criticism that um, is fueled by a, a, not just a deep frustration, but an animosity towards the church itself. And, 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 and what I want us to think about is what's the end game here? It, in, if you're one of those that you like to point out all of the ways in which the church has failed, and believe me, there are many, and they are worth consideration and worth talking about. But what is our end game? Is our goal to shine the light 
of Jesus on it so that he can heal it, so the church can walk in the fullness of what it's called to be, or what I think is more likely to absolve ourselves of responsibility, to wash our hands of accountability, to wash our hands of all the messiness that comes with community life with other people who are broken just like us. And yet it's always easier to point out the failures in another than to see them in ourselves. So we can be honest, excuse me, I've got like this weird throat thing going on. We can be honest about the ways the church has failed to live up to its calling. Church hurt is a real thing. Many of you may have experienced that. But that does not mean that the Christian community is any less the grace of God made visible to us. Bonhoeffer says it this way, God already has laid the only foundation of our community because God has united us in one body with other Christians in Christ Jesus long before we entered into common life with them. So so pick up on what he is saying right there. The church of God existed long before you came along and it will exist long after you are gone. And you have entered into this community, not because you have earned it, but by the grace of Jesus, who has taken your life, though an enemy of his, and bound it to him, so that now what is true of Jesus is true of you. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. But not only that, he's not only joined you to himself, he's joined you to others who are in him. That's why the church is often called the body of Jesus. So he continues on. He says, we enter into that life, that common life, together with other Christians. This is challenging. Not as those who make demands, but as those who thankfully receive. So here is a good litmus test for you, for me, on whether or not we have a healthy view and a healthy relationship with God's people, his church. Do you come making demands? The church should do this. The leadership should do this. They should talk about this. They should offer this. Is that your mentality? Or do you come receiving the grace of shared faith with everyone here? So remember, the church is not an institution in and of itself. It's not an institution. Does it have some of those marks? Sure, it has organization, but it's not an institution. It is a people. So for when you start talking about all of the church's failures, we, we kind of often want to see ourselves outside of that, then lobbying, or lobbying the grenades of criticism toward the church. There is no us versus them within the church of God. It's only us. So one person's failure is something we all bear together. It's something we all work together to seek healing. So when you come to the church, you think of it as an institution that needs to be criticized and dismantled, or as a family, you're called to love and serve. Paul continues on, because this thanksgiving is going to leverage something in him. And let's look, verses 11 through 12. For I I want very much to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So Paul's gratitude leads him to think about and anticipate this time when he can be with these people in person. There's no FaceTime. There's no connecting over social media. It's letters or face-to-face contact. That's it. And he's not looking forward to that time so that this Roman church can do something for him. Look what he says. 
He says, so that I might impart to you some spiritual gift. So this shows us that we ought to look for opportunities to share ourselves with our church family. That some spiritual gift part is, is really interesting because Paul doesn't say, hey, you know who I am. My reputation precedes me, so I expect the pulpit to be cleared when I arrive. That's not what he says. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer some spiritual gift. I don't know what it is yet. I don't know what your needs are yet. When I come, it's going to be about building you up. Not me doing what I want to do, but me building you up in whatever way that you need me. Some spiritual gift, I'm going to bring it. And, and I'm going to be ready to step in wherever there is need. Can you imagine a church filled with people with that mentality? Can you imagine a church? I'm not going to wait to be asked. I do this a lot with my kids. You know, they, there's, there's a piece of trash that's been laying on the floor of the house for many, many a days. And it's like, just tape a dollar bill on the bottom of it. Whoever throws it away first gets it, you know, and it just sits there. <laughs> it, never, it never gets, but if, if it, like in your home, if there was a mentality of shared ownership and collaboration and, and shared responsibility, how we would look for opportunities to share ourselves instead of thinking, what can I get? So this is difficult because at almost every single turn in our lives, we have the opportunity to live like kings and queens. If you have a smartphone, you have the opportunity to live like a king and queen wherever you are. You don't even have to get off your couch or out of your pajamas. With things like DoorDash and Amazon Prime, it all comes to your doorstep and you just send people to do your bidding. You're like a king or a queen, just bring it to me. And, and you, you open up your, your uh, Amazon app and right there, you're like, how did they know? The thing I wanted is right there on the front page. If you really wanna know the answer to that question, be Feel free to be terrified, or just go and research. You will be terrified to find the answer of how they know. But each and every day, we live with our preferences constantly being catered to. People will bring us things to our doorstep. We don't have to go grocery shopping anymore. It just shows up. And these daily habit, habits can have a really disastrous effect when it comes to shared life and community. Because other people do not exist to meet your preferences and your desired ends. And Jesus has not rescued you and saved you to his body to be a resource-draining leech, but someone who gives life to other people around you. So this also feeds how we view this gathering, Sunday worship. Is what we're doing here non-essential religious entertainment? So whoever has the coolest light show, the best band, the most entertaining kind of charismatic preacher, that's who gets my attention. Or is the church of God a essential for me, transformational for those around me, spirit-filled family? Which one is it? And, and by what motive do you come and do I come each week, is it, is it non-essential? Like, is it, I can be here one week and I can be gone three, and it's really no difference because it's about what I get, not about what I give. Or again, is this essential for every Christian? Not necessarily to be a part of Coggin. I'm not saying that you, to be, but to be in a church community, to give yourself to a people 
who are on the same path, messy path of discipleship as you are towards transformation into the image of Jesus. So choosing this way of contribution over the way of consumption is the way of Jesus. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Now, if the king of the universe says that, what, what position should we take? One of a servant, one looking to give, not looking for one for everyone to cater to our preferences. So do you notice how Paul places such high importance on physical presence? To, to, to be a part of a community, you have to be a part of the community. And so I don't say this as like, we're sitting in staff meeting and we're like, yeah, so-and-so wasn't here this week, so we need to like send them a, a letter to let them know, hey, we noticed you were... When we notice you're gone, it's not like, hey, you need to get it in gear. That's not what, that's not our heart. But our heart is, there may be someone, were you not to be here today, there may be someone around you that you had something either by your presence or by your spiritual gift or by your words of encouragement could have done something for them and their faith that doesn't happen when you're not here. So again, we are a people of God. It's not leaders leading religious show. It is the people of God ministering to the needs of one another. And so you and I look for opportunities to give ourselves to others. And this feeds into the final point. The last thing I want you to notice is verses 14 through 15. Paul says, I am obligated. That's an interesting choice of words. Obligated. Because when I think of an obligation, I think of things I have to do that I don't necessarily want to do. But look what he says. I am eager, in verse 15. He's both obligated and eager. Paul speaks of this gospel obligation he has to people, and he says, I'm obligated to both the Greeks and the barbarians. And if that sounds kind of rude to you, barbarians is not a derogatory term. It's just those who are non-Greek speaking. That's what barbarian means. So just notice how Paul takes ownership over people's exposure to the gospel. Do you and I take the same ownership when we step into the doors of this church over people's reveling in the gospel and gospel truth? So you have as much of a responsibility to point your brothers and sisters to the gospel of Jesus in every life circumstance that someone on this stage does. There is no like expert amateur divide here that we are all called to this. Do we do it in different forms and in different functions? Yes, but we are all called to the same gospel passion. So are you a person who's ready to revel in the gospel with others? Like, do you come here thinking, how can I point my brothers and sisters who are sitting around me, those in my Sunday school class, in my small group, how can I be a source of encouragement, a person of peace, a person of joy to point them to Jesus, are you a faucet ready to fill people with joy in Christ, or are you a drain that through grumbling and complaining just kind of like suck the life out of people? It's a deep challenge to, to many of us to be ready to revel in the truth of the gospel. And that doesn't mean that we kind of live with like everything is peachy, life is great, there are no troubles. No, but even if you have had a really terrible week, by admitting, I had a really terrible week, I am down, and I'm here because I need my brothers, and I need my sisters, and I need Jesus. That's a faith that sharpens. That's a faith that encourages. 
And that's a faith that draws other people along with you, upward toward Jesus. But another way to kind of think of this reveling in the gospel and this gospel obligation that really all of us have, and this is kind of my interpretive remix of, of this obligation, is a gospel passion project. For you and for me to find our gospel passion project. So not an obligation in the sense that it's like drudgery, but this is something that when I'm doing it, I feel alive. I feel like I'm doing what God has placed me on this earth to do. And I could talk about several people here, like, like James and Wayland, who stood here with David as he got baptized, as men who have ministered in the jail. I could talk about Brian and Kathy Allen, who have purchased more donuts than anyone could ever possibly eat, and they don't even like donuts. But why do they do it? Because they want to be in the lives of those businessmen and women. And so as they're buying donuts from them, they're asking, how are your kids? How's your family? How can I, encourage, how can I pray for you? Is there anything going on that I can, I can pray for you for? And they're sharing the gospel with them. But I want to highlight for a second my sister, Milena Jesko. She's got a, her and her team have the Way Summit coming up, which is something that we've, believe it's the third or fourth annual uh, Way Summit that, it, that is coming up. And as I've gotten to know Milena, she is a woman of gospel passion. She, she loves Jesus. She loves Jesus. And she loves teenage girls and their moms. So much so that a few years ago, she started to notice, man, our teenage girls are just being bombarded with lies. Lies about who they are, lies about what their purpose is, lies about how uh, they have to do certain things in order to be loved, not the acceptance that they have in the king of the universe. And so as I thought just about what it looks like to own a gospel passion project, she is who really one of the first people that came to my mind. And her whole, her whole purpose is to ask teenage girls, who are you? That's what way stands for. Who are you? Do you know who you are? Do you know what God says about you? And instead of thinking the church needs to do something about this, that's viewing the church as an institution. The church needs to do, the leadership needs to do something about this. She said, you've given me this passion. I am part of the church. I can build, let's do this. This is something that I feel the Lord calling me to do. And I'll let you, I'll let Melena tell the rest of her story. This is from a blog post she wrote. We can only imagine how difficult it must be to grow up in today's culture. This digital age is having an effect on us that we have yet to fully see. Boosted by the effects of social media, the entertainment industry, broken families and stress, anxiety, pressure to perform, more and more, Teens are finding themselves buried in their struggles. So many teens are finding their identity in just about anything other than the gospel of Jesus. Possessions, popularity, relationship status, grades, talents, and the list goes on. I have a passion to reach girls and their moms with truth about who they are. If we can realize and take hold of who we are in the eyes of Jesus, we can be grounded in the stability of a foundation built on the solid rock of God's truth from his word, life-changing truth. So what and who defines you? Are you what your friends say you are? What, what do your parents say that you are? What about, what do your possessions define about you? Are you finding your purpose and identity in things that you own? 
Who are you listening to? Because there are lots of voices shouting for your attention. And most importantly, what does God say about you? Do you even know? So what does this mean? Should we all adopt the same passion project as Milena? No. We're the church of God, given different gifts, each and every one of us filled with the Spirit, having the the fruits of the Spirit, and certain gifts. How does God want to use you your unique setting, your unique influence, your unique circle, coupled with what you know about the truth of the gospel, that apart from Christ, we are dead. We are dead in sin. We are lost. And only through him can we have the life full and abundant that we truly, truly hunger for. So one really simple way of living into something like this, this doesn't mean starting a conference. Maybe for you, writing notes to people to just say, hey, I'm, uh, I love you, I'm encouraged to, to know you, and here are some things that I love about you, and I pray that you live in the fullness of the Spirit today. I mean, writing notes to people, huge, huge influence and encouragement that you can bring. Making small talk before church and someone mentions, man, I had a really great week this week. How can you take what they just said and point them to Jesus? So they don't get lost in, hey, these were good gifts that I encountered, and point them to the giver. What if someone comes and says, I had a really terrible week this week, and I got some news from the doctor. They found a spot they want to look at. How can you point them to Jesus as the healer? How can you point them to Jesus who never leaves and forsakes his own? Each and every one of us have a responsibility to bear each other up. In this way, all of us are shepherds. All of us our member, uh, ministers, and all of us are responsible for one another. So what does this look like for you? And I think maybe a simple way to distill this down to what one kind of singular question is, what is your next step for you to go deeper into fellowship and into community with this church family that you have feel called to? If you're a guest, maybe that looks like, hey, I'm going to sign up, I'm going to sign this card. I'm going to actually give someone my phone number so that they can call me. If you've been attending for a while, maybe it's I want to devote myself to this family. I want to be a part of this family. I want to give myself to this family. Not about what I can get from them, but what I can give. Then maybe, but let's be honest, maybe you're like, I'm not really sure about all of this, but I, I'm, I like Jesus and I want Jesus. Maybe that's your next step. Or perhaps you're one that for a long time you have had this vision of what would it look like to do X? Like, I've got this gospel passion, what Jesus has done in me. What would it look like for me to, to, do, to, to meet these people, to, to take the gospel to this group that I feel laid on my heart? And you have this gospel passion project that you've yet to take any steps on. What does that next step look like? You. So what I want us to do is the way, in the way that we end today is simply just ask ourselves, allow the Spirit to guide us in this question of what is next for me. We hope that you have enjoyed this sermon audio from Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. If you'd like to learn more about us or know what it means to follow Jesus, visit us online at www.cogginchurch.com.